You're listening to Crushing It, a podcast with me, Jennifer Hoff, a place to highlight women who are empowering others, sharing advice, and just doing good. I hope it inspires you to learn, grow, and go out in the world and crush it. My guest this week is truly crushing it. She was the very first uh, to pitch in a professional men's baseball game on a team. She has her own bobblehead. She is also now a firefighter and a paramedic in the greater Portland metro area. So please give a very warm welcome to Isla Borders. Isla, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So we first heard about one another, met one another last year at a firefighting boot camp that uh, was just for women, really a first of its kind in the area down in the Gaston area. And I know I wanted to do a story uh, with you then, but I got the sense, were you a little hesitant? I mean, you've kind of kept your head down a little bit over the years, especially getting out of baseball. Yeah, I didn't want it to be about me. Um, everything's, you know, they find out who I am and then they bring up baseball. And I really wanted the focus to be on getting more women in the fire department and also the women instructors there. So I was trying to stay off the camera and put more people on. So that the main focus would be about uh, women in firefighting. And that's exactly how I knew you would answer that. That is why I think I admire you so much. It's why I look up to you. Uh, to go back to last year, that was why we were all there, was because this was a big deal for those local fire departments to try to encourage women to get into that profession. Because frankly, there aren't that many women, and it's maybe not a profession that a woman would, would think of. But you have completely embraced it. What is it about the profession uh, that, that drew you to it? Oh my goodness, I could talk forever about this. I would say, you know, it's, you have, it's like working with your best friends. Think about going to work, working with your best friends, and you get paid to either solve people's problems or help them. I mean, it's the greatest thing. So you get a different challenge every day. I go into work and it's like, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen today. And then, oh, I get to see my friends and hang out and help people. And, you know, there's there's some other parts that are very difficult. You know, we see uh, tough calls. We have a tough schedule, but there's a sense of family there that's really hard to describe to people. I mean, I can pick up and go to New York and say I'm a firefighter and somebody will take care of me. And you go to Nevada, wherever you go, people will take care of you. So that family, that close togetherness is almost like a team. And so that feels really, um, that's kind of what I grew up with. And I'm just trying to spread that love and allow other people to um, be a part of that. I mean, that's what I was going to say is it had to have been, I mean, while it's much different skills and a completely different thing, there is sort of that same team atmosphere that you clearly are drawn to and can very easily relate to with your baseball background. Yeah, you, it's great because you're acting independently and you have to do certain skills. Everybody has a certain part to this puzzle, but then you're all, you all have the same goal. And it's really neat to be able to do your own craft, do your own skills, but then come together for, to either solve this person's problem or make something better. And um, like I said, different challenges every day, 
you get to hang out with the people you like and you get to help people. So, I mean, last year you guys were so nice to just allow my girlfriend and I to come for a few hours just to get a taste of what it might be like, but we were pulling lines, we were breaking doors, we got to use a hose, there was real fire. I mean, it was really, really neat. And everybody was so welcoming and so nice. I think that's the biggest thing that I took away from it. Um, what would you say to somebody to try to convince them to at least start to look into it as a profession? The number one thing that I'm finding out why there are not a lot of women getting into the fire department is they just don't think they can do it. You know, they're like, oh my God, 75 pounds on my back. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh, this pose, you know, it's always when you read certain posts, thank the men. And so it's like, hey, let's, let's get you out there. Let's try this. Let's see if you like it. If you don't, no big deal. At least you know what our job is and you tried it out and you're like, eh, it's not for me. But if you try it, like most of the women, they're like, oh my gosh, I can do this. And then at that point, it's a mentorship and we try to help women get into the fire service. But I think it's all about just doing it and knowing that you can do it. Oh, I basically now every time I hear sirens, I turn to my husband and say, hey, they should know I'm basically a firefighter now if they need any help. <laughs> I mean, it was so fun. And it's always been something that I was, you know, a bit interested in, but it is kind of hard to, to make that jump. But I think women probably provide a very important perspective to a firefighting team and to the department. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's the whole thing about fire at boot camp is we're trying to create more diversity. You know, I grew up in Long Beach, California in LA. I was around a lot of diversity. Um, being a firefighter out there, not a lot of people would come up to me and say, oh, a woman firefighter, you know, and I came out here to the Oregon area and there, and a lot of people come up to me and they're like, oh, I didn't know that there were women firefighters. And I was like, oh my goodness. Um, what's going on so and same with diversity we were trying to get more men of color you know minorities uh, into the fire department and so with women there I mean we go on calls and we need to do a 12 lead you know to look at a person's heart and it's a female it, we could easily say hey how about you take this call and you put the 12 leads around her breasts you know or there's other calls that um, it's just really helpful to have a woman on the shift and create more diversity to serve more people. Do you think overall you've had a pretty positive experience? I just wondered if you were comfortable sharing any discrimination or tough times that you've had to endure from people who maybe thought you weren't supposed to be there as a firefighter. Um, yes, I've experienced that, but I'll say one thing. I've had nothing but amazing support in Oregon and California and Arizona. I mean, I've had a lot of support and I wouldn't be where I am today without a lot of help from, from guys. But, you know, when I started out in Arizona, what they usually do is there's a really heavy ladder. It's a three section 35. And usually it takes three people they teach now to do it, but I would do it. They would make me do it with two. It'd be me and another guy. And I would go every shift and throw this 35 three section extension ladder over and over and over again. And I did that for six months. That doesn't happen to anybody else, but I would go to the truck because I was a female on a truck 
and they would make me go out there and throw that 35 section ladder, which is a beast <laughs> every day, multiple times. And then finally, after six months, they're like, oh, you know what? You can do it. Okay. So little things like that will pop up. You always feel like there's maybe an extra step that uh, maybe women have to prove themselves. Yeah. And then now that I'm a captain paramedic on the radio, you know, um, if your voice goes out there because there's not a lot of us, you know, they're like, oh, that's Isla, you know, or, oh, that's so-and-so. So yeah, I think the scrutiny is a little bit more intense, but with that, I have had nothing but support at Cornelius, Forest Grove, Hillsboro, all that area. I'm very, very blessed and lucky to be out here. What do you think is your best quality? What, what has served you the best as you've sort of navigated um, these interesting and, and, and frankly different career paths? I would say physical strength. Um, I'm a pretty physically fit person and that has helped me out immensely because they do push you and they do challenge you. And then if you show them that you can do the job, usually you shut people up. So I'd say that's my greatest. And then second would just be a sense of humor in the sense of, you know, when I was playing baseball with the guys and you're in the locker room with 20 plus guys and then me, in order to make it, you had to be able to have a sense of humor and take some punches. And so going into the fire department again, I think I've been able to navigate my way through that because I have a sense of humor that can take some punches and sometimes deliver them back. Right. <laughs> that has served you well. Well, and you've just proven yourself, period. I mean, you did that in baseball as well. I mean, you just had to show them that I can do it. And you did. Yeah, I think that's like that, geez, for just women in any job, you know, you're, you're under the microscope a little bit more, you go in there, you show them that you can do the job, and you might have to show them over and over and over again. And then finally, they're going to be like, hey, she's adding to the team, she's getting wins, she's helping, helping us accomplish a goal, she's got a great attitude, she can do the job, hey, this is great. We, we like her. And then you kind of move on and then they embrace you. You were successful in baseball, but you aren't shy about saying how frustrating it got after several years of, of proving your point, proving you belong there, proving your talent to where at some point you just kind of said, yeah, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to retire. Uh, where can you kind of walk us through that thought process and, um, do you feel like you gave up or do you feel like you accomplished enough then? I think it was that time. Obviously when I was playing, you know, they did everything possible to not let me play. I mean, death threats, mm -hmm. um, I, I can get really dark and I don't want to get too dark. You know, people showing up in my hotel room, trying to hurt me. It was pretty bad, really, really bad. And now you see where Major League Baseball is like, man, who can we hire to be a coach and, you know, be a coach out in the MLB? So it was different. It was a different time. And then, but what I really appreciate looking back upon it is I feel like I paid my dues the correct way. Um, I wasn't given a contract. I had to earn it. And then I started in the minor leagues and worked my way up. And so I have a sense of pride now of doing it the right way. And then when I came to that roadblock, um, 
I know I knew that they weren't going to allow me to go any further. I mean, they pretty much said, "Hey, you're going to create too much of a ruckus. There's going to be way too much news. It's going to take away from the game. So you're never going to get a chance." And I was like, "Okay." And then on top of that, I'm a huge introvert, and I was hiding who I was, and I was so afraid to be exposed, and I wasn't authentic. And so that played on my decision to retire too. I just wanted to be me. I absolutely love the game, um, but I just didn't want to be exposed. So I retired. And then what I do now is I, I try to go and help people get into baseball. I coach baseball on the side um, and I try to guide people. Hmm. That's, that's some heavy stuff there. I mean, that's such a, a, a huge so many life lessons in there and what a turning point too in your life to to stand up and say you know this is something i've devoted my life to but it's time to to really be me and and the part about the i read that too in a in an article about people saying oh there'd be too much media attention i mean that just sounds so hypocritical to me when you think about some of the people and the recruits and the big stars that everyone follows and wants to be around i would just think that's what they would want you're bringing attention you're bringing money you're bringing positivity to a sport and to just use that against you is pretty tough to swallow yeah why don't you just give somebody a shot you know um just say, hey, we'll give you a shot. And, you know, that's that's all I've ever wanted. That's what Mike Beck did for me. He's like, hey, you're going to have to go out and earn it. I said, perfect. Let me go earn it. You know, um, and that's what I was looking for with MLB. And they just weren't ready at that time. But now you can see that they're working with USA Baseball. They're getting women into the sport. Uh, my only beef with that is I really wish that they got women who played baseball in the game and i wish that they would start in the minor league system and work their way up i think that makes it more legit well and just to get people perspective you were playing back in the 90s so that certainly was a different time and wheels turn slowly as we know mm. so if anything you know at least you got them going right yes yes you know there's women in sports now there are women coaches and then, yeah, I played from 97 to 2000. and was in baseball until 2001. So uh, definitely, definitely good times now. I, you played for the St. Paul Saints. I got to throw that out there. My home state of Minnesota. It's a wonderful place. How was your time there? Oh, my God. I would live there if I wasn't here. <laughs> I absolutely. When somebody, when I see a 612 area code or... I see anybody from Minnesota, I just absolutely stop. Um, just, they treated me so kindly. They were, uh, it was unbelievable. The entire team, the St. Paul Saints, Mike Beck, the crowd, the fans, I mean, everything. Um, I try to get back there at least once a year, pay a special visit and just hang out with the fans and um, say hello. Well, the old stadium, if I remember right, was not far from the fairgrounds, which is a, a wonderful event that usually, if we're not in COVID, happens every single year. And it's just a rite of passage for Minnesotans. But uh, they've got a beautiful brand new stadium. And I think you probably saw it last year because didn't you go back to get your bobblehead? Yes, I did. And you talk about a beautiful stadium. I wish I knew who was the architect that did it. I know it was a female, but mm. oh my God, unbelievably beautiful. 
um, from Mike Vick all the way down. You just talk about a top-notch baseball team. They won the entire uh, championship last year. I've got to get a shout out to them. So just an amazing city, uh, amazing state. It's really a great stadium. It's just beautiful. It's family friendly. They make so many areas to get up and walk or sit on the grass and there's food and drink. And it was just, it's a great experience. And that's just baseball. I do believe it's America's pastime and it's just a wonderful experience to have with friends and family. And I know a lot of people are missing that yes. um, full capacity this season. Mm -hmm, definitely. What made you stand out as a pitcher? I was still, I was left-handed, <laughs> you know? Um, I'm super grateful. If I was right-handed, there's no way in heck I would have played. But one, I was lucky, you know, I'm five, nine and a half. I have to put that half in there. So being left-handed, five, nine, and I'm a little bit bigger, you know, um, I've got, and I've got good strength. Um, but I would say that, and the, the big thing to be successful is when I hit spots, I can throw the ball inside and outside. Um, I can have the ball uh, cut in and I can have it tail away. So being able to pinpoint the ball and movement and uh, hit spots was, that's what helped me. And then I had a screwball that was kind of like my out pitch. You know, people are going to hit the ball. So what I was doing is I was trying to put the ball to where they would hit it, but they would hit it right at somebody. And that's, that's what I would do, just rely upon my uh, defense to get me out of jams. When you said it's clear, men and women's bodies are different. You may not be able to throw 90 some miles an hour, but you could throw 83 miles an hour and make the ball move. Yeah, and I always try to think as a hitter, you know, if somebody's throwing the ball 90 miles per hour and it's just straight, I, I'm going to hit it. You know, it's just about timing. I'm going to hit it. But if you give me somebody that's, you know, moving the ball inside and then they put it outside, so they're changing your eyes and then up and down. And then now you have different spin on it. You're just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, it's hard to hit. And so that's what I had to do to be successful. Well, and speaking of hard to hit, there is sort of a famous moment that was caught on camera where it was, it was a batter who swung and missed and said, what a fucking joke to, mm -hmm. to that. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, like I said, I didn't want to get too dark. Um, people have thrown cu their cups, you know, at me. They've thrown bats. I've been charged, which is really funny. Uh, yeah, and they try to humiliate you, you know, swinging the bat, saying that, throwing their bat, I mean, people in the stands, but it was really, really difficult at the time, and then I've also got to tell myself, I was in my young 20s, so being a young 20-year-old woman in this sport, dealing with insults all the time, um, I'm actually glad how I handled it, and I'm, it's really prepared me for life so i kind of see it now as as a good thing well that's when and that's frankly what i was trying to get at i mean i had hoped that that would come out of that situation for you because i mean you got a strike out of that i'm assuming so in a way did that i mean i know it's a part of a dark time in the grand scheme of things but in a way did it have a little bit of a confidence booster for you to say oh yeah struck you out yeah, I'm trying to think of how, 
Yes, it gave me a confidence booster in the sense of I'm up there against all odds. People are rallying against me, except when I was in St. Paul. <laughs> and uh, I'm still able to get through it. So what it has helped me with is when I have difficulties now, um, whether it's a difficult call in the fire department, you know, going on a difficult call or, you know, I lost my first wife to um, a traffic accident. A guy was drunk and uh, killed her on impact. It really helped, this sounds horrible, but it really helped prepare my mind to get through something extremely tough. And I really think if I didn't have that baseball experience on how to be mentally tough or how to get through things, how to control your mind too. Um, I don't think I would have gotten through that. So I try to see things now, if, it's a, if I'm going through a difficult process that it's preparing me for something. Hmm. I, I'm so sorry about that. I had no idea and I appreciate you sharing it and uh, using it as a way to maybe other people can dig deep and find a lesson in things to get to overcome things that are going to be hard in our, in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, that's why I'm trying to do things for people now. You know, when I was growing up, it was all about me and it was all about baseball. And when I got out of it, it's like, okay, it's time to do something for somebody else. It's, it's, it's a bigger picture now. And when I lost my wife, you know, she was the one that said, hey, you need to write this book. Hey, you need to write this book. And I'm like, I don't want people in my life. You know, I just want to live a very, you know, um, quiet life. And she's like, you weren't made to have a quiet life. Write this book. And then she passed um, during that time. And then that's why I put her in the book. And so now it is um, about empathy. It's about, you know, being on that call with somebody that lost their, you know, wife or husband or something on that tragic accident um, and just being able to be there for people and trying to um, help people out. So it's created more empathy for me. Well, and we certainly need empathy and compassion now more than ever. And we all have those experiences to be able to draw on. I think it's just a matter of remembering that, that we are all more alike than we are different. And if we can treat each other with some of that empathy and kindness and compassion, things would, I think, be a lot better right now. Of course. Oh, my goodness. Yes. What advice do you have for... Uh, well, I, a young girl, for anyone really, who might be at that stage in their life, who might be thinking about what's next, or this seems too hard, or I don't know what to do. How am I going to do this? Do you have one piece of advice that you kind of rely on? I would say don't be afraid of failure. I tell this to the guys at work. I see people not doing things in life because they are so afraid to fail. And for me, this is going to sound funny. I failed so many times. I don't care anymore. <laughs> you know, I know that every time that I have failed in life, um, it's made me better or it's made me get to that next step, that next level. And other people, you see them just staying in one spot. And I'm like, gosh, why aren't you moving? You know, why aren't you going for that job? Why aren't you trying to promote? Uh, why aren't you going, you know, why aren't you trying to be a firefighter or, or anything else in life? And they're so afraid to fail in front of people. And so if people could just stop, I, it's hard. It really is hard 
But if you could just not be afraid of failure, put your foot out there, you know, keep on taking baby steps until you get your goal, see failure as a way of getting closer to that goal, that would be my best advice to anyone trying to get into the fire service or anywhere else in life. The failure is so taboo and it really, to your point, shouldn't be. It's how we get back up. It's not about falling. It's how we get up and, and move forward. And that shouldn't be something we should be self-conscious of or afraid of because it's going to happen to everybody throughout our whole lives. It's how we deal with it. So I think that's really spot on and good advice as we move forward. And speaking of firefighting, what's next? What, what are you guys working on? Because I know you got some stuff uh, going here. Yeah, because of the COVID, we had to stop all of our boot camps and cancel them. So hopefully next year we'll see what happens. But we were able to do a career day. You know, a lot of women reached out and they're like, gosh, you know, we want we want to get into the fire service. And I didn't want to leave them hanging. So following the CDC guidelines and everything, we're having five women that are going to be it's like a career day for women and it's at clark county district three out by battleground washington and we have five women that are going to be inside the bay it's going to be outside social distancing max uh, masks temperatures i mean we're following that to a t cleaning and then we have another five women that are going to be outside and we're going to show them how to pass a physical ability test and so we're, we're trying to still do some stuff, but do it in the safest way possible with trying to keep people safe. Perfect. Well, I know you seem like such a giver and somebody who wants to teach as much as possible and pass on that knowledge. So I know that these will be very popular classes and what a way to, if anything, this has taught us to be creative and to push ahead with just different ways of doing things. And so I think that's uh, proof of that. So we will certainly post links. We will post Facebooks and all of that for people who might be interested in classes like that now or in the future. And if they would like to reach out to you, uh, if you're available, if that sounds okay. That sounds awesome, Jennifer. I appreciate that. Okay, before we go, I wanna do what I've done with everybody else. I just call it a quick lightning round, five questions. And I want the first answer that pops into your head. Are you cool with that? Ooh, I might have to filter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we're just going to jump okay. in. What is the first thing that you do in a pressure-filled situation? I pray. You pray. Number two, what is one word to describe yourself? Love. Number three, name something that brings you complete joy. A dog. Thank you. I love you for that. Do you have four dogs, by the way? Oh, I I have three. Oh, but, um, yeah, I had five at one point. Oh, okay. I'm gonna bring my husband in the room, and you can convince him that we always need more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a huge dog lover. Um, number four. What is your favorite food? Oh, sushi. Oh, amazing! You're the second person who said that, and. What I think is the most question, we touched on this a little bit, but what is the one thing that you would tell your 25-year-old self? Don't care so much what people think. Mm. Don't care so much what people think. This is such a time to do what we love to do, right? And just take care of ourselves. And I think that's really good advice. Yeah. Awesome. This is great, Jennifer. Thank oh. you so for your time and thank you so much for everything that you're doing.
Thanks for listening to Crushing It. If you'd like to see all of us kicking butt at last year's first ever female firefighting boot camp and to hear about Isla's plan for the camp again this year, be sure to click on my Facebook and Twitter pages. Coming up next week, the first black woman to supervise a national forest, which just happens to be in Oregon, is sharing how she earned that rank. It's a captivating story that she turned into a new book, and it also addresses racial discrimination in our beloved wilderness and how she worked to change that. Until next week, keep crushing it.